Well, you know the drill. I want you to play under seven seconds of the theme song that's going to set the stage for the dramatic conclusion that everyone has so eagerly been anticipating. Do you have that queued up, Kyle? Give it a go. Oh boy, Kyle. Kyle, you went way over seven seconds. I'm going to be in trouble. But let's pick up where we left off. Hey, Darbycast doctors, the war for Middle Earth, part three, Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, L-O-T-R-R-O-T-K, is what it's called in elite circles of Tolkien fans. Now, all of you, if you've listened to this entire series, you are a Tolkienite. A Tolkienist. Tolkien. Kyle, we're going to have to look up what the official following of Professor Tolkien is, and maybe we use that correctly. Not in this episode, but just out in the world. It's so important. So where we left off in part two, and just a footnote, actually, this is more than a footnote, go ahead and listen to parts one and two, The War for Middle-Earth, part one and part two. Otherwise, none of this is going to make sense to you. It's going to make perfect sense to me and Kyle. Kyle gets it. Kyle, you are so well-read. I admire that about you. Where were we? Sam and Frodo. Samwise Gamgee, Frodo Baggins. They are with Gollum, who used to be who? Smeagol. A river folk. Good guy. But he got his hands on the ring, and it was a downhill spiral from there. It's just going into the depths of hell. Solo mesh. No support system. But now, as this gray-skinned, disgusting-looking beast with humongous eyes that are way too big for his head. That'll happen to you. Let me just sneak this in here. Meth. Not even once. Okay. Ring of power. Never put it on. Not a single time. Internalize that. This is a Darby cast. This is an Economics Wednesday. And I'm not going to leave you hanging by just hitting you with the plot of The Return of the King. I'm going to do this right with a lot of economic lessons. For the dramatic conclusion of this, we have to. So Sam, Frodo, and Gollum, they have just climbed a staircase, set of stairs, carved into the side of a stone near cliff. So whoever did that, impressive, but like weird way to spend your time, right? That's a call out economics wise. Do something meaningful to you, but also have the wherewithal to be like, I don't know if that many people are going to get down on this. But Frodo, Sam, Gollum, they're using it. So I guess whoever crafted these stairs is having the last laugh. 
they are adjacent to Minas Morgul. Talk about what Kenny Loggins would describe as the danger zone. And as they're climbing these steps, they watch the witch king, the Nazgul, the leader. Remember the wraith who used to be a man who was enslaved by one of the nine rings gifted to him by the Dark Lord Sauron. We've already touched upon this message, but it's worth mentioning again. Do not accept gifts from Dark Lords. That is so dumb. So dumb. But hindsight, it's 2020. And now the Witch King is riding his winged beast with an army of orcs, and they're heading for Gondor. They are going to Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith? I'll do multiple pronunciations, as I've done for the entire trilogy. Minas Tirith versus Minas Tirith. Okay? That is the most gorgeous city in all of Gondor. That is where it's all going down. And you know that these guys understand masonry by virtue of the splendid stonework? Incredible. And masons in Middle-earth? Pretty good guys. Not like the masons that Illuminati Mike has cautioned you against. If you meet a Freemason out in the world, not in the fantasy scape of Middle-earth, you march right up to him and you say, I don't like the way you do business. I don't like the way you conduct yourself. You're up to no good, you potbelly goblin. But you would never say such a thing to the masons, the stone workers, the stone cutters in Middle Earth, in Minas Tirith. Because you'd probably go up to them and you'd be like, you are so dedicated to your craft. And it shows. I'd like to invite you to my birthday party. And if I could, maybe I introduce you to the rest of my friends as a very close friend. I'm going to stop everything at my birthday. I'm going to tap a knife into a glass and say, I'd like to propose a toast to my incredibly good friend, Stonecutter Steve, who has continued to impress the entire realm with his expertise. And also, he volunteers. He helps out even on his days that he could spend relaxing, getting shit-faced. But he doesn't. Steve, you are so cool. And then the entire birthday party? What do you think they do? Obviously, humongous round of applause, both for Steve and for you, for having Steve as a friend. Do you think Steve carved those steps by Minas Morgul? He wouldn't be caught dead in such an evil part of this wonderful place that we call Middle Earth. If you, for one second, thought that you could find Stonecutter Steve by Minas Morgul, you better reevaluate the way that your brain analyzes people in the trades. Okay? Way higher ethics than that. So Sam, Frodo, Gollum, they get to the top of these stairs. And Gollum's like, hey, there's this tunnel here. This is where I've led you secret pathway to Mordor. But remember, if you were listening to the last episode regarding Lord of the Rings, Gollum is in a drug-fueled stupor. 
his rational, logical mind is all but somewhere else. His prefrontal cortex, all of his decent judgment calls, he is now operating in his brainstem with the limbic system, the old lizard brain. Not a good place to operate. Probably one of the worst, especially if you're around your substance of choice, which is what? The ring of power, the one ring to rule them all. So he is compromised. Gollum is compromised. And that's why he's led them here because he's like, I am going to take these little idiots through this tunnel. And little do they know, I have a surprise for them. Talk about business, right? You think you've got this business partner and then behind the scenes, they are beholden to ulterior motives and objectives. Betrayal is what that is in business. Can't have it. So they're at the top of these stairs about to enter this tunnel that Gollum has really oversold. He's not that good as a salesperson. He's like, come on, we got to go in here. It's actually more like, all right, I'll do the voice. Yeah. Come on, Hobbit says, we've got to go in here. And it's like, dude, settle down. Why do you want to go in this tunnel so bad? Like, has anyone ever given you coaching on how to sell something? Identify the problem, ask the people you're trying to sell to whether that problem is worth solving, and then present the solution. Gollum, that is sales 101. Go to college, okay? Or at least take an internship. Maybe you get some skills. But good news for Gollum is Frodo and Sam, they're not used to doing a whole lot of business transactions either. So even the really sloppy sales pitch of like, but those through the tunnel. Kyle, am I doing that well? I'm doing that exceptionally well. That's a thumbs up out of you. Thank you. Okay. So now that that's all out of the way, they're at the top of the stairs and they're taking a quick little rest before going into the tunnel. And what happens? Gollum, being the crack fiend that he is, he develops a plot, a scheme to turn Frodo against Sam and take into account that Frodo is already under a lot of pressure. Think about business, right? One of your teammates is shouldering a ton of the load and you're kind of the support staff. You're not an HR because HR is a joke, but you are still like trying to help out the guy who's doing the most. And what's the worst thing that could happen? That beguiling jackass from a couple cubicles over trying to foil everything going on in your company. Who's that? Gollum. Yeah. Okay. Now that that's established. So what happens? Sam and Frodo are taking a real nice little snooze magoos, get the energy levels up because they're exhausted. Gollum is wide awake because the prospect of getting his drug of choice is pretty high in his mind. So he's tirelessly pacing around and then he decides, hey, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to steal the rest of the bread, the provisions. It's elvish bread, which is pretty tasty. Gollum, he takes a bunch of it and he throws it down the stairs, steep stairs. It's going a long way down. And then he frames Sam to pit Frodo and Sam against one another by sprinkling some breadcrumbs all over Sam's cloak. Then Frodo wakes up and Gollum's like, what happened? Acting all surprised and it's like, dude, you keep overselling things. Just, you heard of subtlety, jackass? 
act like you've been in a situation that demanded a little bit of professionalism. Obviously he hasn't, but like, dude, just show up, pretend. So he oversells the crap out of it. And Frodo's so exhausted from his workload, a.k.a. carrying the ring to Mordor to Mount Doom to destroy it in the fire from whence it came, that he's like, Sam, you fat piece of refuse, you hobbit rubbish, why'd you eat all the bread, huh? You portly jackass. And Sam's like, no, 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 no. Hey, I know I'm overweight, but I didn't eat this. You have to believe me. I'm on your side. And then Gollum's like, he doesn't want you to succeed on the quest. We're going to have to part ways with him. And Frodo, being exhausted, let's just talk about extreme exhaustion in business or anywhere. Your decision-making, your reflexes, your short-term memory, your working memory, all severely hampered. There's no way to be operating at optimal capacity without rest, food, water, and a couple of key breaks. Coffee breaks. No coffee by Minas Morgul, though. Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe had Samwise Gamgee brought a portable Keurig, he wouldn't have been cast away from the trio. Just a thought. Probably accurate. So then Gollum's like, okay, let's go in the tunnel. It's going to be so sweet in there. It's like, dude, all subtlety is lost on you, isn't it? But again, Frodo, exhausted, he's like, yeah, all right. Sam, for whatever reason, he's like, all right, I'm out. I'm going back down the stairs. Frodo, in our corporate structure, you are above me, and insubordination is not in my wheelhouse. If you ask me to do something, I'm going to go for it. And there's part of you, the listener, the Darbycast doctor, hearing this now, that's like, okay, chain of command. This guy's pretty disciplined. But then there's also a good clip of you that are like, wait a second, you got to stand up for what's right. Sam, why did you just take the order even though you knew it was wrong? And those are both fair stances to take. So I'm not going to critique either of those positions. So Sam bounces. He walks down these thousands of rocky stairs. Very precarious, dangerous. Then Gollum and Frodo, they continue into this tunnel where they come into contact with her. Shelob, gigantic spider. Frodo is just walking around and he's like, it's so sticky in here. And he didn't mean that in a disgusting way. He meant like, oh, there's spider webs. What's going on here? I'm caught in a spider web. Frodo gets ensnared by a lot of spider webs. And then this humongous spider this spider is about the size. Let's put things into perspective. This gargantuan, overgrown spider is about the size of a van, okay? Like a big van. And for reference, think about a pretty large van, and then I want you to size it up maybe an additional 10 to 27% size. This is a big spider. So Frodo's caught in the web. Spider gets real close, bites him. Big fangs injected with poison. And only moments earlier, Gollum was trying to dupe Frodo. Like, hey, come on, follow me. Hey, let's do this. Hey, 
overselling the crap out of it, obviously. He has one speed. Comes off as so desperate. He's like, hey, come on. And he leads Frodo into getting trapped in that web. Even though Frodo, moments earlier, was like, I've got to destroy the ring, you wretched idiot. Don't you get it? And obviously he doesn't get it. He's a dope fiend for the ring. And then one thing leads to another. And then Frodo's got a pair of fangs in him. Paralyzed, blinded, not feeling his best. Then Sam shows up. Talk about employee of the month. Sam had gone down those stairs, and what did he find? A bunch of bread that Gollum had chucked all the way down there. And he was like, you son of a bitch. I knew I didn't eat the bread. You threw it there. What a dirty trick to convince a chubby person like, you ate a bunch, you didn't even remember it. You are out of control. Tricked him, but then he saw it. He was like, wait a second, I didn't eat this. And so he hustled back up those stairs. And it's like, wow, great leg endurance. Sam, I see a future in firefighting for you, if that's something that you'd be willing to consider. Sam, would you like to come to this job fair where we go over to the emergency services section and maybe ask them what it feels like to be a hero? Does that sound kind of cool? Oh, it does. Business call out. Encourage people to do things that you think they would be good at. That's economics. That is textbook economics. Sam shows up on the scene in a big way, and he sees Shelob, the overgrown spider, mistreating his boss, his friend, his companion. And then he delivers, in the movies, he delivers the greatest line, potentially in the history of cinematography. He's holding Sting, Frodo's sword, and this especially cool vial of elvish magic that's like a star in a bottle. So different. But here's the line. He stares down the spider and says, let him go, you filth. I love that. Who doesn't love that? It's so much more powerful than swearing and being like, hey, fuckface spider. That wouldn't have hit hard. If you're addressing somebody who's sabotaging your business and you say your business ethics are filth and you in turn are filth by association or if one of your employees gets kidnapped by a metaphorical spider which is the equivalent of a shady competitor and you say let him go you filth that's my boss and we have a cool dynamic that's going to deliver a point sharper than the sword that Sam's holding. Wow, right? That's what you probably just said to yourself. Just wow. Sam drives Shelob away with his skills. And Sam is not a trained fighter. But in adventures and in business, when the situation demands a different kind of hustle, you're going to have people who step up. Sam is one of those people who says, no problem, boss. Anything for this business. Employee of the month. Samwise Gamgee. And then as Sam is trying to tend to Frodo, who is wrapped up in a lot of spider webs, because that's what spiders do. They wrap up their morsels and their meals in webs. 
Spiders are so inappropriate. Then Gollum shows up, tries to make some stuff happen, but it doesn't. Because he has zero execution skills. Can't do very many things right. Awful employee. Always needs to be taken aside and be like, is this really the right job for you? Trying to force him to submit his voluntary resignation. Be like, does this organization really suit you? Are you enjoying it here? These are the questions you ask somebody when you're trying to get them to second guess themselves and leave your company without having to fire them and pay unemployment benefits. But Sam and Frodo aren't especially experienced in that kind of corporate lingo, so they never did that. Anywho, Gollum falls into a chasm. But Sam is looking at Frodo and he's like, oh, you're dead. Damn it. I loved you, boss. Friend. Such a powerful working relationship. Kyle, similar to the one that you and I have. Am I overstating that? Didn't think so. So then a bunch of orcs show up because they're close to Mordor. So that's where the orcs chill out a lot of the time and they're making their rounds. And Sam ducks for cover and he's like, all right, got to dip out. Don't want to get killed. And the orcs are like, look at this one. Looks like Shelob was having a little fun. And it's like, you guys associate with such foul business entities. I want to call the FTC on you. Federal Trade Commission for crap business practices. Somebody's got to do it. But the orcs are like, yep, he's not dead. He's just knocked out. And Sam's like, what? I thought he was dead. It's like, all right, Sam, settle down. The orcs take Frodo back to their hideout, a tower. It's not the best tower you've ever seen, but it's also not the worst. And they're like, should we kill this guy? And they're trying to kill him, but then they get distracted by Frodo's Mithril armor. Remember, dwarven, very lightweight, sturdy as a dragon's hide. So these orcs who are not used to nice things, they see it and they're like, I want it. And then another one's like, well, I'm bigger than you and I want it. And then another one's like, I outrank the pair of you, so I'm going to take it. And economic lesson right there, no real organizational structure leads to infighting and squabbling. Of course, these idiots aren't going to run a business correctly if they can't even settle who gets the me thrill. What a microcosm for the ineffectiveness of the entire operation. As they are bickering amongst themselves, Sam, employee of the month, comes in and he rescues Frodo. And he's like, we got to get the hell out of here, Mr. Frodo. And so they do. Many of you right now are wondering what of the rest of the fellowship, and that's where we're going to circle back to, and I appreciate such a thoughtful question. Aragorn, Legolas, Gimli, Merry, Pippin, Gandalf the White. They are at Isengard. They go back there and they grab Saruman's Palantir. What is that? That is a seeing stone. And they are connected. There are multiple Palantirs all over Middle Earth. And Gandalf, he nabs it, and he's like, whoa, okay, we don't know who's on the other side of this thing. We should probably 
cover it with cloth. And it's like, great call, Gandalf. You always make good calls. You are in the driver's seat of decision-making for a reason. That is a hierarchy based on competence, and that is respectable in any business. They all leave Isengard. They're continuing on the journey because eyes on the prize, right? Everybody's crashing out for the night. They've celebrated a little bit after taking out Saruman, and they're crashing in Rohan. And Pippin, the hobbit, he wakes up in the middle of the night, probably to take a pee, and his curiosity is positively piqued. He looks over at this round object, the Palantir, that's covered with cloth. And he's like, ah, gotta take a pee, but what the heck is that thing? Because nobody really explained it to him. Gandalf didn't. And that may be the one decision that Gandalf made in this entire epic story that was not the best. Full transparency out of leaders, pretty cool. You don't give all the details to the rank and file. Remember, we discussed that in the last episode. You don't want to spill all the beans. But if you've got a magical artifact that you're traveling with in business or in a fantasy adventure, just keep your team up to speed. Say, hey, I want to be careful with this. Don't look at it. But that's how the brain works, right? You say, hey, don't do this. Hey, don't think about this. If I said right now, like I'm going to, Darby Cast Doctors, don't think about elephants that have zebra patterns on them. Where does your mind go? Straight to elephants with zebra patterns. What a trick that I just played on you. So Pippin, he picks up the stone and who's on the other side of the Palantir, who has another one of these? Dark Lord Sauron. Of course he does. Why wouldn't he? Pippin peers into the mind of Sauron because it's a two-way street, these Palantirs. At first, it's like, Pippin, you're giving away all the info. But then Sauron gives away a bunch of info. And what does he see? The destruction of Gondor's capital city, Minas Tirith. It's on fire, including, but not limited to, this leafless tree in the courtyard of the upper levels of this beautifully carved stone city that Stonecutter Steve had his hands all over. Don't forget about Stonecutter Steve. I haven't. So Gandalf is like, hey, what the hell did you see? Pippin describes everything. And then Pippin's like, well, yeah, that's what happened. Gandalf's like, get on the horse with me and we're going to Minas Tirith. Minas Tirith. He rides his horse. The horse's name is Shadowfax. Pretty cool. And they want to meet with the steward of Gondor. You remember that sloppy oaf? The guy who's babysitting the throne, Denethor? The guy who can't get enough of grapes? He can't get enough grapes if his life depended on it. Just a glutton for grapes and turkey legs. And it's like, hey, Denethor, it's not Thanksgiving in Middle Earth. You don't even have that holiday. And you're just mainlining turkey legs? Why don't you have a little self-respect? Okay. King Theoden, remember, King of Rohan? Back in Rohan, 
He gathers up the Rohirrim army, remember, horse bros, not centaurs, but dudes who are handy on horses. And Aragorn, who is in Rohan, he learns from Elrond, who is in Rohan, that his chick, Arwen, smoke show of an elf, is dying because she wouldn't leave Middle-earth. She wanted to be with her bro, Aragorn, because she saw a vision of the future. And they have a son. The two of them, Aragorn and Arwen, they have a son, a power couple. They don't adopt some random kid from Haiti. They have their own son. They're not taken after Brad and Angelina, saying, let's go to Myanmar and adopt some children. Why did Brad Pitt ever buy in on that? I don't know. Nobody knows. So Arwen convinces her pops to reforge that sword that sliced off the Dark Lord Sauron's fingers when he had the ring on 500 years ago. This is the best sword ever. And Elrond's like, all right, I'm going to fashion this thing right. I am going to do this. So he hammers it, reforges the sword Narsil into Anduril. Because when you reforge a sword, you rename it. That's part of the process. It's like when you change one of your company's products that gets recalled. You want to rename the product so people don't have that negative association. Even though, pretty positive association with Narsil. Narsil? Narsil. Kyle? I don't know which one of my pronunciations is correct. Look it up. Thanks, pal. So why is this important that Elrond reforges his sword? It's so Aragorn can reclaim his birthright, become king of the realm, but also gain reinforcements from the ghostly dead men of Dunharo. The men of the mountain. Bad reputation. Traitors. Thieves. Scoundrels. 500 years ago, they were supposed to show up to battle Sauron, and they dipped like a bunch of cowards. And so, with this sword, Aragorn can show up inside the dead men's lair. Why are these guys hating life? Check that, hating death. Because Isildur, the guy who sliced off Sauron's fingers and the ring, he set a curse on these despicable cowards and said, well, you didn't show up. Now you're all going to die and you're going to live forever as unfortunate looking ghosts who are not very relaxed. You're not going to have a lot of relaxation in your life. Talk about the worst curse ever. You have to live forever, but you have a hard time relaxing. Whew. That stinks. Legolas, Gimli, and Aragorn, they go to the dead men's lair, and they go inside. And all these ghost ruffians surround them, and they're like, you don't get to just come in here and demand anything of us. We can't even relax, and now you're telling us to do stuff? Aragorn takes the sword out. Anduril. He takes that sword out. And he's like, I am here to release you from your curse. I am the heir to the throne. I am Isildur's heir. And the leader, the king of these ghosts, is like, well, you're never getting out of here alive. The way is shut. 
the way is shut. Very spooky. Gimli's just pissing his pants. Little short dwarf fella, he's like, oh, crap. Why did I get myself involved with this? But Aragorn takes that sword and he puts it to the throat of this ghost. And that's a big deal. Because normally swords don't threaten ghosts because ghosts are ghosts. Write that down. Ghosts are ghosts. Maybe you put that up in your house or apartment. You get a crocheted, a woven sign that you replace the life's a beach thing with ghosts are ghosts. I think that hits harder and kind of tells people a little bit more about what kind of a person you are. Somebody who knows a thing or two about ghosts. But you're not scared of them. You're like, I understand what these ghosts are. They're ghosts. Open and shut case. So the ghost king's like, all right, you got my buy-in. Cool sword. You seem like a decent dude. And if you are who you say you are, I'm in. So are the rest of my people. Because we could really use a proper afterlife. Where we could utilize things like hammocks and relax. Let's pull over to the outpost city outside of Minas Tirith, Osgiliath. So do you remember in the last whodunit, Osgiliath, the outpost city outside of Minas Tirith in Gondor, was overrun by an ambush? And Faramir had the wherewithal to make a good decision for the first time in his life where he was like, oh, hey, Sam, Frodo, you guys can bounce. I make crappy choices and taking you here was one of them. Extreme ownership, I read a book about it, and now I'm going to implement it. That is so refreshing to see somebody read a book and then implement some strategy. But Denethor, great monger, turkey enthusiast, when Faramir comes back from Osgiliath, because he had to retreat, the city was overrun. He and his boys came back. Denethor, his dad, the steward, big slop adopt, says, you're a disappointing son. Go take that city back or don't bother coming to Christmas. It's like, you're really going to hang that over my head, dad? And she goes, suck on a pair of grapes. That's a sexual call out. Very disrespectful to one's father. Faramir is gravely wounded when he tries to retake it. Osgiliath. Denethor, after chowing down on a ton of grapes, receives Faramir's lifeless body when he comes back from Osgiliath. And he's like, oh, you're dead. My other son's dead. I need to burn myself alive. What a mess, right? It's like, dude, you're in the middle of a war and you have zero game face. Minas Tirith is surrounded at this point, and a siege begins. It's a big siege. Stonecutter Steve and his amazing work is just getting peppered and pummeled by catapult fire. Not even catapult fire, trebuchets, which is a much more dangerous kind of catapult. If you don't know what a trebuchet is, look it up. Very clever design for maximum carnage. The French invented it. 
It's a little side note. So Denethor is saying, I need to burn myself and my son alive. And that leaves the city without a head coach. So who steps up? That's right, Gandalf. He steps the hell up. He says, all right, army, man your posts. We're not giving up. The steward of this city is a joke. And then Pippin, remember the little hobbit? He had pledged himself to Denethor. He's like, I'm sorry about your son, Boromir. Can I bring you grapes? And Denethor was like, yeah, whatever. Pippin walks in on Denethor pouring oil all over a funeral pyre that he had built inside because he wasn't a good decision maker, much like his sons. Apple did not fall far from the tree, and the tree was pretty bogus to begin with. Orc armies are surrounding Minas Tirith. This siege is getting so serious, too serious for most people's liking who live in the city. The Orcish general Gothmog. Talk about parents who didn't love you, naming you Gothmog. He is going hard in the paint, firing catapults, trebuchets, and marching toward the gate. And Pippin, he walks in on this indoor fire, and he sees that Faramir is still alive. And he's like, hey, hey, your son's still alive. Don't burn yourself and your son alive, sir. That is not okay. Huge business call out. Huge economic lesson in that. You get it? So Pippin goes to Gandalf, and he's like, hey, there's some really questionable business activities going on in the throne room. Can, can you come check this out for a second? Gandalf shows up, takes a timeout from commanding the army at Minas Tirith, and he and Pippin save Faramir. But Denethor, the grapist, I think you understand what that means, does very inappropriate things to grapes, he catches on fire, and then he leaps to his death from the top of Minas Tirith, just before Theoden, king of Rohan, and his nephew, Yomer, leader of the Rohirrim, horse bros, they show up. This battle is full tilt, full rage city. Then what goes down? Who shows up? The witch king, who is riding a winged, flying beast. Witch king shows up, and he murders Theoden. He just mortally wounds him, takes him out. As Theoden is taking his dying breaths, who shows up? Eowyn, the chick who had the hots for Aragorn but got access denied. She's not even supposed to be battling. She's a woman. But this is like kind of a big yay women piece of the story. And she just starts battling the Witch King with Mary, the hobbit who also probably shouldn't be in battle because he's undersized, Eowyn. She lays the smack down to the Witch King. And the Witch King is like, no man can kill me. And then she delivers the famous line, I am no man. And then she stabs him in the face. Yay, women, right? And then she goes over to her uncle, Theoden. And she's like, hey, sorry, you're going to die. And he's like, yeah, I'm not that pumped on it either. And then he dies. And this battle is still in full swing. Things are going on. Trolls are doing troll stuff and 
orcs are doing orc stuff. But then who shows up? Aragorn with the army of the dead. Remember the ghost guys who just were forbidden? They just weren't allowed to relax? And then they just absolutely win the battle. I don't want to leave this part out, though, because this would be a big error and oversight. What else happened at this battle? There were humongous war elephants. And who did a lot of damage to him? Legolas. Let's not forget about Legolas. Gimli was just kind of there. Legolas was shooting arrows into elephants' faces. And these elephants, think about the size of four food trucks stacked on top of each other. Actually, three food trucks side by side by side and then four tall. Is that painting a picture of an elephant that you don't want to go up against? Well, that's business. That's going to happen. You'd be so lucky to have a teammate like Legolas who's like, I'm not scared of any challenge. I read the Dale Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and I think these war elephants, I'm about to influence them to death. Power move. The dead men have their curse lifted. And that feels good for them because now it's all hammocks and BJs in their place of resting. doesn't say that in the text, but we all know that's what's going down. Frodo and Sam, let's not forget about these bros. They are still on their way to Mount Doom. They are pushing forward. And Aragorn being the genius king that he is, he's like, we don't have time to chill after this battle. Sure, we saved the city and all of Stonecutter Steve's tremendous work, but we got to have a distraction so our two pals can execute on the most important deal of our company in Q4. So Aragorn takes as many bros as possible, even though everybody's exhausted, to the Black Gate as a huge distraction so Frodo and Sam can reach Mount Doom. Aragorn's army draws out Sauron's remaining forces, empties Mordor. Talk about a strategic sack fly. This allows Frodo and Sam, who had escaped that orcish chill pad, to press on towards the volcano, Mount Doom. But then who shows up? Gollum. That guy just doesn't die. He doesn't. There's something about drug addicts, right? That it's like, Whoa, you have more energy and fight in you than maybe you should. I thought all the drugs would tucker you out, but you're just on a mission for drugs. Frodo makes it inside Mount Doom. He's standing over the volcanic fire, and it is toasty in there. I don't know if you've ever stood inside a volcano, but it can't be pleasant. I don't know what it's like because that sounds like such a dumb vacation choice. Like, hey, let's go hang out in a volcano. I'm not about it. But then again, that's not part of my business plan. That's not part of the B plan. This is the fellowship's B plan. It's the entire B plan. And just as he's about to throw the ring down, on the ledge, Frodo is standing on the ledge over the volcanic fire, high heat, and he has a moment of weakness. He realizes, like, Gollum, he really loves this ring. Maybe I just try it once? Dangerous. 
don't try drugs, not even once. And he's like, I am going to keep it. Just like Isildur did all the way back 500 years ago. It's a little bit of deja vu. Sam is standing right there and he's like, no, you idiot. Don't do this. And then Gollum somehow finds the invisible Frodo, attacks him, bites his finger off in an effort to reclaim his drug stash, a.k.a. the Ring of Power. They struggle. They are fighting hard. But Frodo is no longer invisible because he is he doesn't have a finger. And they get in just a world-class scuffle. Gollum ends up with the ring, but he gets cast into the lava with the ring, and he dies. And so it's like, all right, I guess that's probably how you wanted to go out. A little OD on your stash. Ugh, sad story. Good thing he didn't have a family. They would have missed him. Frodo almost falls into the volcano as well, but he clings to the side of the ledge, and he's rescued by his boy Sam. Sam just got Employee of the Year. Employee of the Month, not nearly high enough marks for this guy. And that's important, right? In business, you got to have a little recognition from time to time and be like, you stepped up. We're going to throw you a pizza party just for you. And everybody's going to hear about how amazing you are. That's what Sam deserves. Huge pizza party. So that ring disintegrates in the lava and Sauron is vanquished. All at once, when that ring pops in the fire, Sauron's defeated, the orcs, the Nazgul, and Mordor itself, the evil province of craggy nonsense, begins to crumble and it's all over. Gandalf, coming in hot, flies to the rescue with some eagles, oversized eagles, way oversized. Think of like a little bit smaller than a single-engine Cessna that amateur pilots fly around in. But Gandalf's no amateur pilot. You already knew that though, right? He rescues the hobbits. And everybody wakes up in Minas Tirith. Beautiful city, not destroyed. Everybody wakes up and they are reunited with the rest of the fellowship. There's a debate amongst scholars as to why they didn't just fly the ring in with an eagle and either drop it in from range or kamikaze the eagle into the lava and not have the whole journey. But economic lesson there, the victory in business is sweeter if you overcome the challenges. You think you're just going to pull a Mark Zuckerberg and go straight to the finish line? Get selected by the CIA to be the front man for their mass surveillance program. Oh, yeah. Facebook. Look it up. Check the facts. That's what Illuminati Mike would say, and that's what I'm saying to you right now. But let's go to Minas Tirith, where it's a big party. And although Sam, employee of the year, probably deserves a pizza party of his own, Everybody's kind of having a pizza party because everybody chipped in. So they throw this company party and it's really well executed 
and there's not a whole lot of people getting way too hammered and sneaking off and hooking up in a broom closet. You don't want that. You don't want that at a company party. But Aragorn is crowned king of Gondor, and he takes Arwen, his elvish chick, as his queen. And that feels nice, because he was like, I held out for you. And she's like, I held out for you too. And like, well, now we're in Stonecutter Steve's spot that he made. Should we live here and enjoy ourselves? Treat each other right, but treat the people right? Because I am king now, huh, babe? And she's like, I'm for it. You are such a good leader. And there's like a pretty huge moment that happens where Aragorn is actually, he receives the crown. And everybody takes a bow, takes a knee. Not like taking a knee like discussed in the last episode. Oh boy, was it just not anything like that. It was very respectful. Aragorn went up to the four hobbits, Frodo, Sam, Mary, Pippin. And he's like, my dear friends, you bow to no one. And that's a tearjerker moment where you kind of get the chills and you're like, wow, talk about the ultimate leadership play where he's like, yeah, I know I'm in the number one spot. I'm in the driver's seat. But for the victories, I take none of the credit. For the losses, I take all of the blame. That's how to be a leader 101. If you want to run a small business, watch this trilogy. Also, probably listen to this Darby cast and the other two multiple times over. A lot of you right now are probably thinking, you sound like the greatest boss of all time. You just get it. And I'm not going to disagree with you there, but let's continue talking about company pizza parties relative to the Lord of the Rings. Gimli contributed probably the very least out of anyone. And in a scenario like that, you kind of want to take the guy aside and be like, I want you to know that you should wait to grab your pizza. And I've also set up a table for you kind of away from the action so you can reflect a little bit on how you had so many opportunities to show up and then you didn't. You're fired, Gimli. No, don't try to argue with me right now, Gimli. It's over. Grab your things. Take a slice of pizza for the road. You can use this as a reference, but I'm not going to really lay on the praise if one of your future employers contacts us. Do you understand, Gimli? You're not allowed to take copy toner, any staplers or office supplies, Gimli. That is theft. And you have been committing time theft over the course of our business venture, one could argue, based on doing very little and still somehow maintaining this as your place of employment. You know, let me take a minute and think about my own role in this, Gimli, because I should have let you go a long time ago. Part of this is my fault for allowing such a waste of space to exist amongst our ranks. So the hobbits return home to the Shire where Samwise Gamgee, he marries this really busty country dreamboat, Rosie Cotton. She's pretty stacked for a hobbit. And Sam had a crush on her for a really long time. And he never had the courage to ask her out, but then 
he realized like I was employee of the month and then employee of the year. I can ask out whoever I want. Good call. Way to reflect on your accomplishments in the workplace positively and transfer the confidence that you gain from your professional success over into your personal life. Bravo, Sam. Everybody's back in the Shire. They have beers. And then they kind of look at each other, all the hobbits, and they're like, okay, well, we saved everything. And they're not quite the same. The Shire seems as though it's still got the steady pulse of drinking beers and lazily farming. But Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin, they have witnessed a lot of violence. And that changes a person. I just want to call that out there. A few years later, Frodo departs Middle-earth for the Undying Lands with his uncle Bilbo, who's totally clean now from his addiction to the ring, a.k.a. hard drugs. Such a more enjoyable person to be around now that he's dialed in and not stealing stuff all the time and getting himself into so much trouble. But Frodo goes with his uncle Bilbo, Gandalf, and the elves to the Undying Lands. And he's got to say goodbye to Sam when he departs. And he gives Sam something pretty special. He gives him a book. He says, here's the Red Book of Westmarch. And it's got all the details of their adventures. Frodo wrote a book, very much like his uncle wrote a book. Runs in the family to be good guys writing books. And then Sam goes home to the Shire. He embraces Rosie, his large-breasted hobbit wife, and their children. And the last words of both the book and the film, they're the same. And it's Sam. He says, well, I'm back. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So now not only are you a Darby cast doctor, PhD in just about everything, I think you just got your business degree, master's. In a three-part series, The War for Middle-Earth Parts 1, 2, and 3, I think you're pretty much a master of business, provided that you've been paying close enough attention to extract all of the key insight that I have given away so gratuitously. I'm a pretty generous fellow when it comes to big lessons economically. So what are the biggest takeaways of the series? One, rely on your friends. Two, adversity is what makes us who we are and we don't give in to it. We embrace it and let our challenges sharpen our wits. And if you don't understand that, when I lay it out there explicitly, never listen to this podcast again. Leave. I don't want you ever listening to a single Darby cast ever again. Not in the future. Not past episodes. You're done. Okay? Other big takeaways. Some short people in your company are going to do big things like the hobbits. Other short people like Gimli just going to shuffle their feet and sow doubt among your ranks by questioning everything and being like, this looks bad. And it's like, no shit, Gimli. We're on the adventure of a lifetime. What did you think it was going to be like? Another big takeaway, honor your word. A lot of times in the series that promises are kept. And I like that. You can't have a functioning economy without high trust, right? 
So I think of Middle Earth as a miniaturized example of the global economy. The provinces that are really leading in GDP are the ones that trust each other, that have high integrity, and they get it done. So chill, so dynamic, so inspiring. Let's talk about another takeaway. Defeat evil. Even in spirit form, evil exists. It's not always going to look like Sauron. Sometimes it's going to look like Jeff Bezos. Amazon. In the world of business, at least. Bezos wants his lake house. Sauron wanted a lake house. But are you going to say, I don't want a lake house, even though you really do? Think about that. Think about that. Who gets the lake house? Another big lesson, trust yourself. Wow. Your gut and your intuition has been developed over so many generations, honed to a razor-sharp edge of excellence. Trust your gut. That's what Frodo did in life and in business. Gandalf, make friends with an old guy. Old guys are pretty magical. That's another takeaway. There's old guys that just have enchanting spells in the way of positive life lessons and stories, and they're willing to guide you on a quest. If you just say, hey, Gandalf, maybe you go to like an old dude in a park and you'd be like, hey, Gandalf. And I think that old gentleman will probably be so excited that a youthful, great person like a Darby cast doctor is talking to them that guy may not even give you any sort of a rebuttal for you calling him Gandalf, which his name almost certainly is not. Let's talk about another key takeaway. Listen to the Darby cast religiously. Wow. That one almost went without saying, but I think you need to drive that point home. I think you do. I think you need to share this with somebody. If they're ready for it, don't share it to them if they're not ready. That's not okay. But if you know somebody and you're like, you're a business tycoon waiting to blossom, you just need that last little push in the right direction, maybe you show them this episode and make their life. Give them an opportunity to be successful. Even if they're not the captain of the business team that you're proposing, they're not the Aragorn. They're not the Gandalf. First of all, Gandalf is an old guy, and that Aragorn spot is probably reserved for you because you are the sharpest of the bunch and you have greatness in your heart and also a sense of doing what's right all the time. Aragorn was pretty much dialed in. Think about that for a second. Last but not least, I've said this many a time over the course of these episodes, stay away from drugs. They will wreck your life, hijack your decision-making skills, and ultimately tank any sort of business ideas that you might have. Okay? That's Darbycast. That is Economics Wednesday. That is Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. I hope you enjoyed this. I don't see that there could be any way that you wouldn't have enjoyed the heck out of this and had your spirits lifted to a level that you were nearly uncomfortable with. 
that you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. My zeal for life is almost exceeding appropriate altitude. It's okay to feel that way. It's okay to say that as well out loud to a stranger, maybe an old person. Call them Gandalf. Kyle, hold on. Let's take a quick time out. Kyle, you did such a great job of tuckering your dogs out before this to reduce interruptions. You are a great guy. Okay, that's going to do it. DarbyCast, Economics Wednesday, back Friday, provided Kyle can keep the dogs nice and tuckered out. Do the favor, Kyle, to the audience, if you would, by taking care of stuff. Okay, thanks, bud.